Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome back to our, our final episode this week of Chasing Frets. My name is Jason Shadrick, and I'm joined uh, again by Joe Gore. How you doing, man? Hi there. I'm doing, doing good. So today we're talking about the eternal struggle of playing changes. Now, Joe, do you remember when you first got into learning how to play changes as a, as a young uh, San Francisco kid or L.A. kid? What am I talking about? I was an L.A. Yeah. I was an LA kid at the time. Well, I'd, learn, I'd learned stuff by rote, but um, I lucked out. When I was 17, my teacher was Ted Green. So oh, I got yeah. into learning, learning changes from Ted. But it was in the sense of visualizing. You know, it was basically you know, learning the neck in terms of, in terms of arpeggios, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, which is great. It's, you're not playing in the usual box patterns, and you learn the uh, link between melody and harmony. But for for me, at least, and probably for a lot of other students when they're first approaching it, it's just kind of a blocky thing. It's like, okay, I can, you know, practice my arpeggios, but I'm, am I really playing them melodically? Am I freely incorporating them with the other melodic ideas I know? You know, am I, am I doing it subtly? Or am I just, you know, you know, plugging in the, um, the, the A flat module and just working through the pattern? Right. And, um, uh, Ariel's got a way more nuanced uh, approach to it. Yeah, and I'm as I said in the in the in the episode, I'm kind of a, since even doing this podcast, become addicted to hearing different viewpoints on how to connect melodic ideas over certain harmony, which it's just fascinates me to no to no end. And so, uh, yeah, hearing Ariel break down his his kind of system, his way of thinking, I thought was really unique, where he kind of puts everything into one bucket and chooses and, and really kind of picks his spot as to what to imp- uh, what to emphasize in an improvisation. That's a tongue twister. Yeah, it's a real it's a real um he has a very clean, simple way of looking at it. Not yeah. simplistic, but of like just, you know, just cutting to the essence of what what you're trying to communicate. Right. Um, and and even um, in like, you know, the 15 minutes we had with him on this, like he he explained it pretty clearly and demonstrated. So stick with us. This is our, our final episode here with Ariel. And uh, we'll see everybody next week. I'm Dweezil Zappa. On my own musical journey, I've had two mentors. One of them was my dad. And the other was Edward Van Halen. The impact Edward Van Halen made on music is enormous. And I find it fascinating to learn how top guitarists were affected and influenced by his playing. Every episode in this series will reveal something different about Van Halen's music. I'll be taking you on a song-by-song discovery of the nuances in the music that literally change people's lives. Put on your shoes. It's time to start running.
time with the Dweezil is found exclusively at DweezilZappa.com, a reward music-powered artist site. All right, Ariel, I have a confession that I'm kind of addicted to learning about how other guitar players not only view the fretboard, but view playing through changes and not just applying the add blue scale here method of soloing, which I do like and it has its place, but I'm such a sucker for snaking through changes in a melodic way. And earlier this week we talked about, you touched on jazz and some more sophisticated blues players, but early in your development, when did you kind of unlock the secret that you could change along with the chords as they're going by instead of finding a one-size-fits-all soloing method? Well, I think I tried to find the secret from the very beginning, and I think I'm still trying to find it, and I'm still trying to unlock it, but I've made some some headway, I think, and there are a lot of ways to approach it. Again, this is the, this is the beautiful thing about how everyone's got their own thing, but I found something that works for me, and basically all my discoveries in music have come down to this realization that it takes a lot less to say a lot more. And I always thought that you needed so much to say so much. And it's kind of the opposite. Can you expand Can you expand on that a little? Because that's something that like sounds really wise and sounds really true, but it also sounds like, like you know, someone could just utter it as a cliche <laughs> and then be playing exactly the opposite from that way. And it's kind of like saying, I play for the song. But what does that, what does that mean to you? Well, there's, a lo- there's all these notes we can be playing. And I think... We were t- I was talking about earlier this week is just how like we're convinced that we need to have all this information coming in so that we know we have endless uh, pathways melodically and harmonically that we can go and that's going to make you sound sophisticated but it was just, it was more of a realization that first of all less is more you're going to have a significant impact and feeling of change by just focusing on the minimalistic aspect of something being meaningful rather than just playing something that sounds fancy or playing something that maybe sounds impressive, like stunt playing. I call it stunt guitar playing. You know, there's there's something that... There's three things that people who are not musicians always react to. They react to uh, someone that sings really high. They react to someone that plays something really <laughs> fast. And they react to dynamics. They don't understand why, but they react to dynamics. And... You know, on guitar, we get guilty. We think, well, if you play something fast and you, it's if you if you do quantity over quality, that'll usually be more impressive. You know, and it's always the opposite. I've 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 realized that quality over quantity, and just focusing on the minimalistic aspect and what note do you need to tie into the next note. And I realized there was a lot less moving around than I thought there had to be. I thought, oh well, you know, there's these modes and there's all these scales and. There's all these keys, and you got to do this everywhere in the guitar. I found that the most cohesive aspect, or approach rather, was to always stay in the key that you're playing in and not to get caught up in different scales. In fact, I I never think scale-based. I try to just never think, I'm going to play a little bit of this right now. I'm going to play a little of this scale. I don't think modal at all. Subconsciously, I play modal, I guess, you know. It's just for me personally, someone saying, are you playing a mixolydian there is just an opportunity to play more notes unnecessarily. It's it's an excuse to just play a major scale with a flat seven rather than just focusing on the flat seven and and working your phrasing around the specific interval that the mode is focusing on, if that makes sense. 
can you can you demonstrate and kind of break down your approach? Like usually when people start playing changes, sure. it's, it's over a blues, you know, because that's a pretty simple. It's very pleasing to the ear. It's it's a form that a lot of people can kind of pick out. So when we're looking at something like over a blues, how would you approach in your method, say going from the one chord to a four chord? Well, maybe I'll play something first, and then I'll I'll kind of run through what I was thinking. Is that okay? <laughs> So that second one was more like jazz blues changes, obviously. Mm-hmm. So the way I'm thinking about it, I'm, that was an A for those wondering. A dominant is what I'm thinking. So I'm not thinking A mixolydian. I know that I can use pentatonic. And I basically think of minor pentatonic and major pentatonic as one scale. And if you really think about it, it's basically a major scale with a flat three, with a flat seven. It's, it's all the same thing. And I, I just visualize... Rather than a scale, I just visualize all those notes. So if you think about all the notes, that's just an arpeggio, major pentatonic, minor pentatonic, major scale. It's all the same notes. Push or pull one or two, you know, like variations. Those intervals make up the sentences I'm trying to put together. Rather than just playing words or, you know, certain words at a time I'm you're just using those to make sentences and I find that I try not to use scales because I find I sorry what I'm trying to say is I am using scales of course but I don't focus my attention to thinking should I be playing the major pentatonic now should I switch to the minor it's all the same thing to me and I know that a lot of people get caught up in thinking about that maybe it's because they're not fully comfortable on the fretboard yet so I call it scaleitis like when all you want to do is this, but to get there, you got to go, or the other way you go, rather than just, I want to play that four to flat three, and just landing right on it. So I want to omit any of that. I never want to just play a note that doesn't matter, or just because my hands are taking over and playing muscle memory. So. A dominant is what I'm thinking the entire blues. Now, when the chords change, you were asking about going to the four chord. When I'm playing unaccompanied here, so there's no band, there's no track. First of all, I want to focus on making it feel good. So right out the gate, I was kind of trying to put a bounce on it. So that you guys know always where the beat is. You can feel the pocket. You can feel where it's going. You're never questioning like, oh, I think I just lost where it's going. That's that's probably the most important thing for me. It's just making yeah. it feel good. And then I'm trying to play 
it very obvious right now because we're talking about playing changes, but due to the situation we're in where I am demonstrating solo, I want to spell out the blues as if you've never heard of blues before, like as if you don't know what the chords are. <laughs> mm-hmm. So in that case, I know that if we're going from an A7 we're like a, to a D dominant, right? So I like to focus on the third of each chord. I think the third is going to be your best friend. And for those that don't understand, I'm talking about specific intervals of each chord. Now, when the D7 happens, I'm not switching to D mixolydian or D pentatonic. I'm still staying in the root. I'm staying in A. I'm just wanting to go to the three of that chord and then come back to the A, to come back to the root. So I know right at the gate that, okay, the three of the four chord in relation to the root is the six. So in my mind, I'm going, okay, I'm going to find a way to get to that six on the downbeat where the four four chord happens, and then I'm going to come back and play in the root. And then when it goes to the five chord, I also know that, okay, that's the natural seven. The three of the five chord is a natural seven in relation to the one. So if I play that natural seven anywhere else in the blues, some tritone stuff going on, don't sound so good. Um, because first of all, we're playing in a dominant key, which is a semitone down from that natural seven. It's going to sound kind of whack unless you play it right on the downbeat where it's supposed to. Right? So then it just becomes a matter of, okay, how can I string my notes together to make sure that I don't sound like I'm playing regular root-centered stuff and then just jumping onto an interval like this. You don't want to, you don't want to be doing this. See, like we're jumping the range and it just sounds like I know that I could play the six over there. So I'm going there rather than trying to find the six in the range that I'm playing in already. Mm. And range is, for me, one of the most important things too. It, it, it goes along with telling a story in your improvising. And playing changes is one of the many important things for me that it takes to just build like an arc in your solo. Because if, you know, if you come out the gate with this... Yeah, the, the notes are all good and the and the whatever is great, but if you're starting up here, you kind of don't have anywhere else to go except here. And that's your ceiling. You're stuck dynamically. You either have to keep your momentum and your energy up or you just end the solo. So I I find it very important to like start lower if you can and take your time with it and build up to something and make that payoff feel so much more satisfying with your range. So that's why it's important also with the chords I'm trying, the chord tones I'm trying to play. If I'm playing down here, like I was saying, Thank you. 
So then you can start throwing in little embellishments like that. So that's going to the four chord. That's a four minor, which is going from the six in relation to the root to the flat six. And it just gives you another sound, you know? Mm-hmm. You could also do on the four chord. Sharp four, diminished. It all leads back to to the root. And when you start getting into the crazier changes, sometimes you realize your playing can be as interesting as the chords you're playing underneath or not. Sometimes really interesting chord movements will help you sound more interesting or sophisticated just because the chords are really nice sounding. So like we were talking about autumn leaves earlier this week, right? Don't hate me, proper jazzers, but I'm playing it in E minor. <laughs> so, right out the gate, Autumn Leaves is a series of two five ones. The song or the key that I'm playing it in is is an E minor or G. It's the same thing. We're going from A minor D G, which is a two five one in G, to the C major, and then a two five one in E minor, F sharp half diminished B seven E minor. So right out the gate. I look at that if I'm going to say, okay, let's think of the thirds again. All those notes, except the, uh, the I guess it's technically the, the E flat, um, all already show up in G major. So rather than thinking, oh, A minor scale to D dominant to... It's actually all E minor slash G, but you just need to know what those thirds are in relationship to that key, and you can find that it'll sound like you're saying a lot more when you're really just playing in the one key. You're just landing on those right chord tones at the right time. So three, four. Someone was a B7 melodic minor. That was cheating. But same idea as the blues. Root, stay in the root, and know where all the, whatever chord tone you're, you're chasing. Now, again, I'm playing unaccompanied, so I'm really hammering home those thirds because that interval shows the chord changes the best out of any interval, even better than the root of each chord, in my opinion. Yeah. If you're playing with a band, you got accompaniment, you want to target the fifths, you, the the roots, the thirds, the sevenths, great. The nines, anything works, and it's all good. But for playing unaccompanied right now, that works. I want to make it clear that this is like not the only way to do it. <laughs> was uh, in your kind of development of learning and kind of breaking this down for yourself, was transcription a big part of it? Trans- transcription was a big part. I found myself learning a bunch of solos, learning a bunch of jazz standard, just like heads. Mm-hmm. And that really helped just open up the the map, so to speak, of like, oh, so you start seeing a lot of repetition. You start seeing, not patterns, but pathways, rather, of how stuff is used and why. And then a mixture of that and playing all the time, playing a lot of gigs, playing a lot of gigs where improvisation was a huge element of it, and always recording myself and listening back. 
I cringe listening back to myself because I can hear my process. I can hear the growth. I can hear all the mistakes. I can hear the things where now I go, oh, if I only just knew that you don't have to play those bad notes, those notes don't matter. Oh, don't do that. You know, that's all part of the... the I know, but come on, aren't there times when you listen back to yourself and it's like, oh, that was not nearly as awful as I thought. I'd say 20% of the time, like all seriousness, 20% of the time, or maybe 10% of the time I'll go, yeah, that's actually kind of great. 90% of the time I'm I'm usually like, I don't know. It's not that I... I'm always hard on myself, but I'm, I'm always looking, well, I'm always looking to evolve and I'm never trying to settle. I'm always trying to improve and I try to hold myself at a high standard. So if in my head, it's not sounding like it did in my head, which again is the whole point of recording yourself because stuff doesn't sound like it feels when you're playing it, then it, it can be disappointing. It can be lackluster. Yeah. So it keeps you real, so to speak, is what I'm saying. <laughs> it's important. But yeah, I probably started latching onto that chord tone playing, I don't know. I think a decade ago or, or just maybe in my early 20s, I started just being a bit more sophisticated about it and, sh- and trying to hold a lot more restraint in my playing and just focus on the important elements rather than everything under the sun, mm-hmm. rather than everything I was inspired by. I just, I just wanted it to be listenable and I wanted anybody to hear it and go, yeah, that, I mean, that sounds really good. You know, even if that's not my thing, that, that's cool. That's good. Yeah. Even that, that was just kind of what I was trying to achieve. And throughout this week, we've, Robin Ford's name has come up a few times. And to me, he is like a textbook example of how, how far you can push the sophistication of a blues before it gets too much. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he, he's right. He's right at the edge. And I like, that's where I like to, that's where I want to live <laughs> in that neighborhood. Big, big time. I'm, I'm with you, man. That he's, yeah, he's the first one I heard where it was that cross of the all the jazz stuff I loved and all the blue stuff I loved, but with conviction, with amazing tone and and just the right things. Like no one else, just no one else does this the right way quite like it. You know that just that. That's not sounds nothing like Robin Ford, but it, he's just he's just a beautiful thing. I'm speechless. The first time I saw him live, he was playing with uh, Phil Lesh, playing all the Grateful Dead tunes. Oh wow, that would be interesting. It was insane. It was it was them and Little Feet, and uh, it was I was like, who is who is this guy? <laughs> you know. And then I went uh-huh. back and checked out all of his earlier blues stuff. I was like, yep, um, this is right up my alley. Oh man, I would have loved to see a tour of like the handful of blues era. <clears throat> band Ooh. I, i've seen all like the i have all those dvds of new is it new morning like the or own filter own filter, own filter or something uh yep. like in the supernatural cycle like early 2000s and it's just oh it's just so it's good ripping. it's ridiculous well well ariel it's been such a treat to hang out with you this week uh absolutely and uh thanks for enlightening us and joining us this week and what do you have uh, coming up we have New music coming out? You working on something new? What's going on? Well, I have a new single out that has come out on November 20th called Carry Me Home. And it's the second single I put out this year of just a new chapter of music. And I can't really share too much yet, but there's a lot more music to come. So check out Coming Back and Carry Me Home if you haven't. And, yeah. you know, hopefully sooner than later, you can bring some music 
to some stages again soon. But That's in right. the meantime, we'll just right. keep up with the Zoom hangs. It's good <laughs> to see you guys regardless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, it's good talking to Ariel, and uh, we'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>